Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Erica Benson, who is co-owner of Gochi Capital, LLC. We will discuss how to invest in vacant land in 2021, Part 2. Erica, a former affordable housing director for the City of New York, is now a full-time land investor. The first part of this discussion was published in an article January 25th, 2021. Erica, welcome back. Thank you for having me. There is a lot of topic here, even more than we can cover in two parts. Perhaps we can just recap a little bit of what we discussed the last time. The idea is that it's possible for a small investor, or perhaps more accurately, an investor with a small amount of capital to make a business full-time or part-time of investing in vacant land. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Describe for us the ideal person or people who would thrive in this business model? Well, I think the the first thing is you you do need to be uh, or have an entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose is the right word, because it is it is a business. So it's not like investing or what we how we sometimes think about investing where say maybe you buy a stock and just hold on to it um it does require setting up systems um putting in a fair amount of time you know learning really learning um a whole business structure and that includes both the administrative sides of a business like project management and accounting um but also the specifics of land investing itself, so how to analyze a property and decide how much you're going to pay for it and how much you're going to sell it for and whether it's a good purchase at all. So, yeah, I think you need to have the drive to set up your own business. It can be part-time, but you do need to approach it as a business. So have um, all the qualities that we generally think are important if you want to be an entrepreneur, have your own business, um, you know, attention to detail, a desire to keep learning and improving, and, a, and an ability to create systems. Um, and then on top of that, you also need to enjoy real estate as a whole, um, have some interest in it, but in particular, vacant land. And I think what so, for example, what drew me to vacant land is, one, um, I love the outdoors and nature, so there's a there's a connection there. But also, there's something really interesting about vacant land because it has yet to be developed into anything. So it has a lot of potential, um, which means, you know, there's a lot that you can look into with vacant land. It's kind of fun to think about everything that you could do with a parcel of land and learn about all the different. So if you think about all the different things a parcel of vacant land could be to learn the process for getting to each possible outcome. 
Um, so having just enough interest to dive into every aspect of both real estate investing and also development um, as, as just, you know, something that interests you and you enjoy doing. And how much of a risk taker do you need to be in terms of the financial investment and the time investment? So I think the the beauty of vacant land is you can kind of um, dial the risk factor as to meet your comfort level and also dial the time factor. So the way we do it, we see it as fairly low risk. Again, because we we cap our purchases, at least right now, um, at around ten thousand for any one property. So, if you do happen to make uh, a mistake in your due diligence, or you overestimate how much you can sell the property for, you're not risking that much money on any one purchase. Um, and then, so. You can you can cap your risk that way just by saying I'm only going to buy low value parcels of land. I'm not going to put that much money in any one place. And um, you can also diversify risk by buying in many different areas and in many different states. So that way, if one area sees a sudden drop in the market for whatever reason, your entire portfolio isn't going to be affected. Um, or, you know, there there are land investors, we don't do this, but there are land investors who work exclusively with very high value properties. Um, like They may buy parcels to sell to developers, or they may deal in really high value agricultural or ranch land. And those are, are more risky investments, but the the profit is also higher. So you can pick and choose within land investing where you want to specialize based on your own risk appetite. And it's, it's similar with time. Um, you can learn to do every aspect of the business yourself and keep your overhead very, very low. And in that scenario, you will be putting a lot of time into the business. Um, probably regardless of how you choose to set up the business, you're going to be putting a lot of time in to start. But you can continue to do most of the work yourself, keep your overhead low, um, but you will be putting a lot of your time into the business. Or you could grow it the way anyone grows a small business, hire other people, to do many of the day-to-day tasks for you and reduce your time commitment. And that's, again, based on your own risk profile, the um, how much profit you want to or how much overhead you want to take on versus how much time you want to put into the business as well. And many land investors go kind of a medium route where they hire someone offshore to do more of the non-mission critical tasks, so purely administrative tasks, to help ease some of the the time requirements um, while they keep doing the more important tasks, so things like due diligence, um, anything that um, 
where the decisions are really important and could affect your metrics or the amount of risk that you're taking on. This concept requires you or the person or people that you hire to assist you to wear all of these different hats, to be self-driven, as you said earlier, and to think about it as a business, as your own business. So you do everything from the accounting, the research, the resource manager, uh, to the marketing, right? Yes. Yeah. So we, um, the way that we approach the land investing business, we think of it as being like a full stack developer. Um, so in, in like the computer science space, that means someone who, um, can develop both on the back end and the front end. So the client facing, um, as well as the back end infrastructure. Um, and we, we say that because we try to understand how to do every aspect of the business ourselves. So even if we hand it off to someone else, we want to first know how to do it ourselves well enough that we can create a detailed checklist for them and um, basically make it as easy as possible to learn how to undertake any particular task in the way that we would like to do it without too much additional training. So, yes, the way we run our business is we we want to learn how to do proper due diligence on the properties. We also want to learn how to market them correctly. And we also want to learn how to do all the back-end stuff like uh, accounting, setting up a proper accounting system uh, for for owner financing in particular, um, and how to set up project management system and all of our systems to help us track all of our properties as they go through the various stages of the land investing cycle. When you say, for example, that you cap your expenditures at 10000 per property, is that the actual price that you pay for the property? Is that the price that you pay for the property plus your out-of-pocket expenses for support services? So that's just the, the actual acquisition price that we put a cap on as of right now. Um, and that's not necessarily the metric that I would say everyone should use. It's just the metric that we use as a way to, again, mitigate risk, make sure we're not putting too much money in any one property. But no, it doesn't include any of the back-end costs. Let's go through a little bit of a thought process step-by-step, step, if you would, to kind of get a better handle, because this this seems to have a lot of parts to it. So let's say that we are looking at the possibility of a purchase, a first-time buyer, someone who's listening to us, and considering, okay, well, I want to dip my toes in this idea. This this sounds interesting. So I want to start at the base, which if I recall correctly from our last conversation was between one and 2000 per property. And that could get you either a small property in an urban area, less than an acre, 
or as much as perhaps five acres in a rural property? Is, is my memory working well? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, generally, it would be the rural properties you'd be buying at that price. But, um, it, yeah, it depends on the area. You can get some smaller lots in slightly more built-up areas for, for very little as well. What would be the starting point? Now that we have a budget of sorts, one to 2000 and that's going to be just the cost of the property. So how much do we need to budget for, a, a, in a big picture way, I realize it's going to vary from property to property and from state to state, but just for purposes of our exercise here, about how much should we estimate it's going to cost us in all of these background expenses in addition to the property price? Is there a ratio that we use? What do we do? Um, we don't have a ratio per se. Um, now, what we, we typically say is when you're first starting out, you should set aside at least 10000 to get started. Um, what we also say is if you are – this is your first purchase – and um, you you haven't done any inland investing before, we recommend, and this is actually what we did when we started out as well, um, we recommend that instead of, so the way we typically purchase properties is we send out direct mail campaigns. We send letters to owners of vacant land um, asking if they would be interested in selling. But if you haven't done any land investing before, we recommend that instead of doing a mail campaign, you try to buy some properties um, just through a from another seller. Typically, you'd, you'd probably want to buy them from another land investor. Um, so just search through a land-specific listing website and find some properties that look like they're in your price range and send an email to the owner saying I will offer um, 25 to, to 30% less than the listing price and we'll purchase it cash right now. Um, and you'll have to send out a lot of those emails to find someone who's willing to do that. But there will be some sellers, especially other land investors, who are interested in selling quickly, so they will reduce their price for you if you are willing to buy quickly. Um, and the reason we recommend doing it this way to start is it does reduce some of those uh, typical overhead costs that are associated with land investing when you're doing it at a, a larger scale. Um, but also, the first couple of properties you're buying, um, you shouldn't at that point be thinking you're going to make a huge profit off of them. It's more to get used to the whole process and have a practice round. Um, so to to really um, focus more on understanding how to do proper due diligence with the property and also how to go through the whole closing process before you start dealing with direct mail and some of the other administrative tasks and um, items that come with additional overhead. So if you're starting out that way and you just purchase a property um, in, a, in the normal way, that is you find a property that's listed and you reach out to the owner, 
there is no overhead associated with mailing at that point. And and if you're purchasing a property that's only $1,000, you're not going to buy it through a title company. So you'll just uh, close in-house. Um, again, typically, if you're going to buy from a land investor, they will be able to draft and record the deed for you. They may charge um, what's typically called a document fee for that service. So that'll be an extra couple hundred dollars, but that's it. Um, so you can purchase the property with maybe two or three hundred dollars for the closing costs on top of the purchase price when you're starting out. Then when you market it, you can start out. Um, a lot of the land listing sites do charge a fee, but for your first couple properties, you could just try listing the property on um, websites that let you list for free. Um, so that way you can, again, keep your overhead low while you're testing out the system to see if you're really interested in it. So when you're when you buy your first couple properties, all of this is to say when you buy your first couple properties, you're mainly looking at the cost of the actual acquisition and then a couple hundred extra dollars for closing costs on both sides. Um, the The bulk of your investment is going to be in your time because the the purpose when you're just starting out of buying a few properties from another investor is to learn how to do property, proper due diligence. So you'll want to spend a lot of time going through all of the due diligence steps that we outline before purchasing a property. So you, be, you become comfortable with all of the different aspects that you should look at before you purchase a property um, or before you start ramping up the volume on your business. So now you have spent, let's say, $2,000 on the property and $300 on the closing fees if you went through the seller and you close in-house, and now you have this, quote-unquote, new vacant land available for sale. Now what do you do? So then at that point, um, you you try to market it. Um, now, I should take a step back and say, before you actually purchase the property, as I mentioned before, you should go through all the due diligence items. And again, that's going to be the biggest um, the biggest effort in terms of your time in the process. But if you found a property, you offered 70% of the listing price, and that offer was accepted, and you did your due diligence and everything looks fine, and then you, you closed on the property and the the land investor who's selling to you handled the closing for you. Now you have the property. At this point, you're going to market it. And so you'll create a write-up of the property where you go over all of the information that you acquired during your due diligence. You may even want to go on Craigslist and hire a photographer for $50, $70 to take photos of the lot. Um, so you can include those in your listing. We also do videos, YouTube videos, for all of our properties, where we just talk about everything, again, that we learned in the due diligence process. 
um, as well as where the property is, some basic information on its zoning and what you can do with it, things like that. Um, and you'll put that all of that listing information on a website. So we do recommend that even if you're just starting out, you have a website um, because it's a key to to um, giving yourself credibility. Um, in this day and age, I think it's hard to find people who will buy from you if you don't have a website. So put that information on your website and then also put that information on every free listing site that you're able to. So sites like Zillow, um, Zillow is a big one. You could also use Facebook Marketplace, which may be surprising, but that's a, that's a big place where people go to buy land as well. Um, or, you know, if you're willing to put in a little more money, you could pay for a subscription to a land-specific listing site like Landwatch um, and list it there. Now, those sites are they do come with a cost but they're they they are great sites um we we sell the majority of our properties through through sites like landwatch or other land specific websites um and then after that you just wait for the leads and when someone reaches out to you and says that they want to purchase the property then you close the property for them uh, again, typically at the price points we're talking about, you're not closing through a title company. So the next big step in the process would be learning how to close a property yourself. And that is drafting the deed, getting it recorded, paying the recording fee and the transfer tax, or alternatively, if they're doing owner financing, having the appropriate land contract ready for them to sign and uh, having that, a way for them to make payments, monthly payments moving forward. And so how do you generate interest and traffic to your listing? It's the heavy lifting, it seems to me, from a marketing perspective, is you can have the most fabulous property out there but getting the right people, the right buyers to see your listing, that mm -hmm. is a big challenge. How do you do that? Well, I think it's it's very similar to marketing any kind of product. Um, you know, digital marketing is very important um, anywhere these days. So that's why we, we do um, YouTube videos. So you know, having a robust social media presence, um, videos are great for selling land. So um, we've primarily focused on YouTube, but you can, if you really wanted to supercharge your marketing efforts, you could produce content for all the various social media channels. Um, and that's, that's a big driver. Um, and then having promotions as well can help. We have a freelance giveaway promotion, um, which we love and which helps drive interest in us as a company. And uh, just 
having your listing in as many places as possible and having a great website, understanding a little bit about SEO and how to get your website noticed is helpful as well. So I I don't think that there's anything unique about real estate or land investing when it comes to marketing. Um, a, a lot of the tips and tricks that um, many of the big names like you know Gary Vee or Neil Patel um, work very well when it comes to selling land as well. So it's it's you know about educating yourself on the basics of SEO digital marketing, social media marketing. Um, a lot of land investors run Facebook ads and um, things like that as well. Now, putting together a YouTube video sounds really easy when you say it, but in my experience, any kind of video production is very time-consuming, and for anything to look professional, it takes a lot of effort. Tell us a little bit about the amount of time and effort and money that it takes you for each one of your YouTube videos. I know you have, what, almost 250? Yes. Um, so especially when you're dealing with lower value land, say you don't want perfect to be enemy of the good. So you, you do want a basic level of quality. But it's also important to just get your content out there. Um, so, you know, invest maybe in a nice microphone um, or some basic lighting that could help if you're going to show your face. But you could even do just a simple screen share or video of your screen where you're showing the property, showing it on Google Maps. Um, showing photos, things like that, um, and just have your voice over it. Um, so I, you don't, I don't think you need necessarily need to put a huge monetary investment in equipment to make the videos, at least not when you're starting out. The, the more important element is that you are giving high quality information in the videos that you're doing, which is why you go back to the importance of due diligence when you're buying land, um, because you want you want to make sure that you're providing the information that your customers need in order to decide whether the property is going to work for you, for them, that is, um, and that that information is accurate. Um, as they say, the number one rule in real estate is disclose, disclose, disclose. So um, I would worry less about production quality and more about the quality of the information in the video. How do you how do you decide how much time to spend? on that video. So for example, when you're starting out with this first project that we're talking about, you're looking at a $2,000 property price plus we said another 300. So $2,300 worth of financial investment. How many hours should you invest on that video promo? Should it be two minutes? Should it be 10 minutes? Um, so, well, the 
Again, the beauty of doing great due diligence is that the bulk of the work will have been done for you by the time that you get to the video. Um, so when you put the video together, you're really just investing the time it takes to make the video itself. Um, and in terms of length of the video, it should be as long as makes sense for that property. So if it's a very low-value parcel of land, it's a, it's a rural property, there's not too much in the way of zoning or building regulations. Um, basically, you're just showing where the property is located and giving a really brief overview of how it's owned and some high-level sense of what it can be used for, then maybe you just do a, a three, four, five-minute video on the property. Um, if it's in a more built-up area and there's more to talk about, then maybe it's 10 minutes. But um, again, it's it's about delivering high-quality information. So if you can deliver the information that the buyer needs in two or three minutes, then that's all you need to put into the video. Um, if you think that there's a lot more that needs to be said, then maybe you put in seven or eight minutes. And after that, you just don't when you're first starting out again, you want to get it out there. So maybe spend another 10, 15 minutes doing some editing, making it look like it wasn't just slapped together, you know, cutting out some of the longer pauses, things like that. But I, I would say with the lower value parcels of land, especially when you're just starting out, you can put 15, 20 minutes into it and leave it at that as long as the information is high quality. How do you decide the sale price? So your $2,600, I'm sorry, $2,300 out of pocket plus the amount of time. And at this point, I'm guessing that a lot of the time that you've spent has been partly to gain experience to learn this whole due diligence and the process. So you're not going to be able to recover it. But as a general rule, you will have invested some amount of time. How do you decide the price to sell that property now? Well, I think you have to leave time out of the equation when you're pricing the property. Um, again, especially when you're starting out, um, time is just you're going to have to put time in to to learn the process. and. Um, I don't think you should think of it as being part of the costs associated with any one transaction. Um, so when we look at pricing, we're we're purely looking at what is what do we believe the market is um, compared to how much we were able to purchase the property for, and then also how long are we willing to let it stay on market. So. We typically want to price our properties below market so that they sell within a month, maybe two months. Um, you know, maybe you know, 80% of market. So to, to go back again to the very first part of the process, before you buy any property, you do your market research. Um, you go to a land-specific listing site that has a lot of information on sales of vacant land, and you look at recent 
comps. Um, the general rule in real estate is that you look at sold comps, but unfortunately data in the vacant land space is often not as great. Um, so we just generally, we look at listing prices because there tends to be a lot more data, a lot more listed properties than sold. And some of the sold data is not very good when it comes to vacant land as well, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But we look at the general price that a property is listed for in an area, and from there we work backwards. So we say if we we want to sell our properties quickly, so we want to list it, we want to be the, the lowest price listing when we do list, say. So we figure out what that cost is, and then we say what what margin do we want to make on the property. So if we want to make three times our investment, then we work backwards from our listing price to the the price that we could buy it for, and that becomes the offer price that we send in. Um, so we all of the overhead and administrative costs. You you can't necessarily work that into any one particular deal. You account for those by figuring out what your margin is between what on every deal, what your target margin is that you're shooting for. So, for example, in this purchase, or now it's going to be a sale of the property, that you have spent $2,300 in, you take out the investment of time and energy to learn the ropes, to put together the marketing materials. And it has to be sold for at least the $2,300 or you're losing money out of pocket, right? Right. So that's the the when you're buying a property. So I should say when you're first starting out, the goal isn't to make a ton of money. It's just to learn the process. Um, so you're, you're basically shooting for just making a little more than what you, you buy it for. And in the process, under learning the whole business. Then later, you will focus on profit. Um, now, our particular metrics now that we're running our business and it you know we've we've learned the whole process our metrics would be if we're selling for cash so not on owner financing um we want to sell for three times what we paid for the lot and if it's owner financing it's going to be more like five times So in this particular case, you would be looking at several times the buying price in this initial transaction, assuming that yes. everything works out. Yes. So somewhere between three and five times your purchase price. Yes. How do you deal with issues that the property might have, uh, such as restrictions, some municipalities require that you build a home, don't allow tents or RVs or vice versa, allow tents and RVs, but don't allow 
any homes to be built or any structures to be built. What is the best way to approach that? Obviously, based on what you said earlier, disclose, disclose, disclose. But from a marketing perspective, is how do you deal with that? Well, um, what well, I should say, what we found is <laughs> there is a buyer for almost any parcel of land. So we bought some properties that we thought you know, there's there's no way anyone could want this lot, and we still find a buyer within a few weeks, um, having fully disclosed all of the relevant points. So one example, maybe for a long time, we said we will not buy a property that does not have legal access. That is to say that um, a member of the public legally has the right to access that property via a road or or other right of way. Um, And our thinking, of course, being, well, if you can't access the property, why would anyone want it? Um, But we, we tried we found um, a parcel in Southern California that did not have legal access. It did have physical access, so there was a road that led to the property. It just technically was not um, a, a – it was a private road, technically. So um, you didn't have a right as a member of a public to use it to access the property. We had a few – a few weeks prior to purchasing that property, we had just sent out or we had sent out a poll to our buyer base saying, would you ever buy a property without legal access? And we found that some people were saying, well, yes, under the right circumstances, we may. So we thought, well, we'll try it out. We'll buy this property and see if it sells. Um, so we bought it and it sold within two weeks. So the point of that story being that it's very hard to determine what someone wants when it comes to vacant land. Um, so think you don't, you shouldn't approach disclosure about what is allowed on a property um, as as something to be afraid of. There are very few properties that will not, if you've priced it right, you will be able to find a buyer for almost any property. So there are some properties, as you were saying, that can only be used for recreational purposes. You do your due diligence and you find that you can't build a home on it. Um, Don't be afraid to say that. There are plenty of people who are looking just for recreational land. There are other properties where you can build a home, but you couldn't do any kind of agriculture. Again, don't be afraid to disclose it. There are, there'll be buyers for that kind of property as well. So I think part of becoming a land investor is removing the mindset that there is such a thing as bad land or unusable land. Um, there, there will typically be a use for almost any parcel that you can find. You just have to price it right and make sure that you're getting your listing in as front and in front of as many people as possible. Now, One. The, the, the only other thing I'll say, though, is that it's also important because you're 
you don't ever want to state that you know for sure what is allowed on a property. So we, we also always say, this is based on our research. You should give the county a call yourself to go over their building and zoning regulations. How do you deal with legal documents and legal issues? You might be in a situation where you are in one state, the land is in another state, and your buyer is yet in another state, or maybe even someone overseas. What kinds of documents and what kinds of legal issues should you expect? Um, So buying, the fact that all the parties are in different locations, different states, sometimes even different countries, that actually is not that big of an an issue. Um, The the, um, process these days of Getting legal documents completed at a distance is is pretty easy. Um, In fact, many counties now will accept online recording, which means that you could have documents even notarized electronically. Um, And in cases where you can't do that, there are mobile notaries, um, so websites where you can find a list of notaries who are willing to travel to uh, within a radius, of course, but they're willing to travel to your buyer or seller, depending on whose signature you need, um, to get a document signed and notarized for you. So there, there's a whole infrastructure that lets you handle signing and notarizing documents at a distance. Um, that's the easy part. The harder part or the, the bigger hurdle is just making sure that you have really good template documents. Um, So that is one thing that you want to do when you're first starting out. Um, And that is one one cost you shouldn't skimp on when you're starting out is getting um, a really nice set of template documents and having them adequately reviewed by a lawyer. And typically your documents will be under the law of the state in which your your company is located in. So you want to make sure that you have a lawyer in the state whose laws you want your documents um, to to be under the or the law in which you want the the documents to be. Uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the word, but. The state under which the contract is enforced, you want an attorney in that state to to review the documents. We have the template documents that we use in our course, but regardless of whether you have template documents either from us or from someone else gifted to you, you, you should still have a lawyer review them and you should amend them to reflect your own business practices. Um, or your own desires. And every state does have slightly different requirements, especially when it comes to deeds. There are some websites you can use, like uh, deeds.com, to look up the basic requirements for any county. But most counties will also have their requirements for a deed online. So when we're working in a county for the first time, 
will first look through their online resources to see their basic requirements for a document. We may also give the county clerk a call to go over any unique forms that they may also need, um, as, as well as any um, maybe unusual things that come up in their, in their formatting or document requirement page. Um, title companies are also helpful. Sometimes if you just call up a local title company and ask them questions about um, what is required on a deed under a particular circumstance, they may be willing to give you some advice as well. Uh, so there, there are many ways to, to try and figure out what is needed for a particular circumstance, but about 90% of the time, an, a good set of template documents will work for for the particular deal without many changes needed. Going back to this theoretical <laughs> model that we have been following from the beginning, so you started out with a investment kitty of about $10,000, and you're going to start doing an easy transaction to learn the ropes, how to do your due diligence, how to find a property, how to sell a property, how to market a property, all of these steps that we've been discussing. How long would you say, on average, it takes to learn the ropes well enough to start generating a revenue stream or to know whether you're doing the right thing, that this is a good match for you? So um, it'll, it'll vary from person to person. Um, I would say give it a year before you worry about how much profit you're making. But in terms of just, just, just trying to figure out whether it's a good match for you, you could probably figure that out in five deals. Um, so just doing a couple deals will give you a sense of whether it's something you actually think you could enjoy doing um, or something that you could see being willing to spend um, you know, a significant amount of time doing. So five, maybe ten deals. You do a couple of them, see how it feels. Um, and you should be able to figure out whether it's something that actually interests you or not. But then again, um, once you've decided that it's something you really want to try and make a business out of, as with any startup or any business venture, you do need to give it some time before you really start worrying about profit. Um, any business requires a period where you're you're putting in resources without necessarily getting anything out in order to set up your systems and learn the process and become efficient at it. How much can you reasonably expect of a return after a year? Um, so if you manage to get the business up and running and good systems in place and you understand how to do proper due diligence and you price also understand how to price properties correctly, 
you and then again it'll also depend on how much overhead you're going to take on so if you aren't if you're going to hire people then your profit will be lower than if you don't um but you know you could look at maybe 35 40% profit margin it also depends on how how much how aggressive you're going to be in your acquisitions so if you are really looking to scale up and you're aggressively acquiring properties then all of that profit is going to go into more acquisitions so at some point it it's um it's about decisions that you make in terms of how you want your business to perform and where you want to utilize the money that it generates for you well looking at the initial investment that we mm-hmm. talked about so the $10,000 to start out with mm-hmm. what so do you yeah so if you use that 10,000 to buy say five properties that are a thousand each um, and then you use the other five thousand to cover closing costs um, some legal fees things like that so you have five properties that you buy for a thousand and you sell all of them for three thousand so then you have ten thousand on top of the five thousand you put in five thousand in profit in profit when you also cover your overhead, that's a uh, you know thirty three percent profit, and then you can reinvest that whole ten thousand now to buy ten properties for a thousand and repeat. Or you could keep the profit for yourself, depending and just buy another five properties, depending on what you want to do. Is there a self-questionnaire that you can give yourself at the end of the six months or at the end of the year to help you figure out, should I continue this? Is it generating enough? Does it have a future? Are there going to be more people buying land in six months or a year? Uh, or do you have the tolerance? What, whatever it is that is making you hesitate. Is there a Q&A that can help you when you reach that fork in the road? Mm-hmm. Well, I think and that goes back to are you know just being an entrepreneur um, I do think it's important when you're starting out in any business invest in any business venture or even if you're just doing more traditional investing to be very clear about what your goals are with any endeavor you're undertaking so for us for example our goal was to have a business where that we could do from anywhere um, COVID has changed things, of course, but at the time we were very interested in traveling. So we wanted to be able to have a business that we could run while we traveled a lot. 
Um, and we also wanted a business that did not require us to take out any uh, any loans. So we decided we wanted to run our business entirely on our initial investment and then the profits that we put back into the business. And the third requirement for us was that there was some kind of more stable monthly income, which was why we chose to do owner financing. And the final requirement for us was that it was relatively risk-free, which is why we've capped our acquisition cost at $10,000. You know, theoretically, we could make more money if we went to larger parcels of land, but because we don't want to take out loans or um, take on any debt, uh, we did not choose to do that because we didn't want to risk too much of our own capital on any one property. And we have stayed true to those four goals. Um, and we've we've actually looked at a number of different business ideas and um, different real estate types. And every time we look at a different option, it we run that option through those four metrics that we're looking to achieve and land always comes out as the best alternative. Um, so I think when you're first starting out, you want to be very, very clear about what you are trying to get out of the business, how much risk you want to take on, what your other goals are, you know, have, have a framework that is specific to you and that you can use to evaluate every decision, whether that's um, do I want to stay with land investing or whether it's um, a more a smaller decision you need to make about how much money you're willing to spend on any one parcel. But I don't think that um, like I could necessarily give a questionnaire that will work for everyone. It's more about understanding what your goals are and being very clear about those up front. I know we are on a time crunch. Do you have time to tell us about SEO and the giveaway? Yeah, I can just quickly go over that as well. So we do have a freeland giveaway. We run it twice a year. Um, and we randomly select one person who commented on our Freeland Giveaway YouTube video, and we give them a free parcel. It's usually the lowest valued parcel in our inventory. And so the this came out of a promotion. We had initially planned on only doing it once as a way to boost our YouTube channel, but now we're we're going to do it consistently twice a year for at least the near future, um, just because it's been um, a really great experience. Um, we enjoy the, um, the comments we get. We get to hear about people from all over the country, what their dreams are, what they want to use property for. Um, it's just a, it's just like a really nice, 
almost community, it feels like sometimes, that we're able to grow with it. It does help our YouTube channel, but it's less of a promotion now and just more something that we enjoy doing. Um, and so that's the Freeland giveaway. You can find it on our YouTube channel. And um, just in terms of SEO, um, I won't go over too much about our how we approach SEO I think that's a longer conversation. It's also the area that my partner really focuses on, so he's a little more um, knowledgeable about it than I am. But I will say that we do keep a blog, which helps with SEO a lot. It's it's designed to around SEO, but the blog is also about educating our potential buyers or anyone who's interested in buying land. So we have long-form content on any number of topics related to land buying, whether that is something like legal access, which we talked a little bit about, or wetlands, or um, zoning, zoning variances, what to do if you want to use your property in a way that it um, zoning doesn't currently allow things like that. Um, so that's both a, an SEO tool, but also a way to provide a lot of um, what we think is great information for someone who is interested in buying land. Do you also have an email list that you send information to yeah. or that you notify? Yes. Yeah, so we do, you can subscribe to our email list. We send out a weekly email with our latest properties, and we also highlight um, the blog posts that we've written over the past week, um, as well as, you know, sometimes tips or tricks that we've discovered in the past week. Erica, thank you for joining us from Wharton, New Jersey. Great. Thank you so much. And to our audience, you have been listening to Erica Benson, who is co-owner of Gokchi Capital LLC, who discussed how to invest in vacant land in 2021, Part 2. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.